Greetings and welcome to the Mount Rushmore podcast. My name is Jeff and I'm joined as always by my good friends Richard. Hello. And Michael. Howdy. These suckers like to debate and deliberate the most ubiquitous aspects of many different topics. And this week is no different as we debate the Mount Rushmore of cars you wanted to own as a kid. Uh, and uh, who's, I think it was Michael's topic? Uh, yeah, my topic. And I chose it because, well, quite frankly, I drive um, when I do drive to work. And I've been increasingly driving more and more as we're kind of um, taking the off-ramp towards off-ramp of um, COVID times into the fast lane of um, <laughs> this uh, this car metaphor is uh, quickly falling apart. But <laughs> it's like a, Rand, drive... a Randy Newman song. <laughs> 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 uh, basically, I drive to and from uh, the valley here in Los Angeles uh, to Calabasas, California. And on any given day, I can see any number of um, supercar just like ambling along in at like 25 miles an hour, stuck in traffic. And I saw one the other day and I thought to myself, oh my goodness. Oh, did I want to own a car like this when I was a kid? Oh, what did I want to own? And I just kind of started, um, mm. uh, you know, kind of daydreaming while you're driving, which is the best kind of daydreaming to do. And um, it got me thinking that like, oh, I wonder what kind of, car Richard wanted I wonder what kind of car Jeff wanted what yeah. kind of car do people want and I I think we're definitely at least here in LA we're kind of we live in this weird kind of mirage of um a landscape where you can see the most expensive cars in the world all the time and as a kid even growing up here you know I didn't see the kind of cars that I see on a daily or a weekly basis and you know certainly not the ones that I hear peeling off down the street, you know, driving at one in the morning, just drag racing. But like, I don't know, some cars used to be like this kind of fictional thing. And even, I don't know what kind of cars are on uh, your list, Richard. Uh, this is wide open for me. It can be real cars, fictional cars, um, whatever. Cause it's just, as a kid, I think as you kind of start getting into adulthood, you I have these ideas on like, oh, this is what I want to drive, which is very different from what I want to drive now. I'll tell you, <laughs> tell you that much. So. Yeah, it's funny. As a young person, a vehicle is a pure entertainment because it's a, it's a hypothetical concept. Sure, you've been in your parents' car and maybe you thought that was kind of boring, but you're probably stuck in the back seat somewhere, and it was a, an abstract. Uh, so cool. So let's uh, get started. Since uh, Michael thunk it up, Richard gets to start. All right, I will start off. Uh, with the car that I wanted from the time I kind of really knew something about cars as a teenager up until, well, I'll be honest with you, I'd still take one today if I could get my hands on one. And that is the Cadillac Eldorado. Oh, wow. These things were the high-end Cadillacs back in the mid-90s, the 90s to the two, I think the, they ended production in 2002. Now, obviously, the line goes all the way back to the, oh, I want to say, when, are the, when I'm looking up right now, when did the uh, 1950s, I want to say? Yeah, something like that. 1953 was the first Cadillac Eldorado. And if you can picture a boat with four <laughs> wheels on it, that was the Cadillac Eldorado. And I was specifically taken by the late model ones, the ones that came out in the 90s and then the into the 2000s, because they had the North Star system. Mm. And I was a sucker for marketing, and I thought that must be, <laughs> must be the best engine you can possibly get. Turns out <laughs> it was one of the best engines you could possibly get. Um, it was uh, Cadillac's attempt to try and create a, a more European-style uh, engine, and mm. has been kind of considered by car aficionados to be one of the best American engines ever created. Um, and I don't know. I didn't necessarily want it because of the engine. I just loved the idea of having the biggest car possible. Because when you're a kid, <laughs> when you're a kid, it's not so much quality as it is quantity in about anything, really. And I think that extended to cars with me. I mean, we used to get the, the old auto trader magazine do you guys remember those 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. Or like the thrifty nickel or whatever they, the penny saver. Mm-hmm. Oh, sure. Yeah. And they would have the ads for all the cars. In the very back, they would have like the unusual cars. And every once in a while, you'd see like a limousine for sale. And I tell my dad, why don't we just get a limousine? That way I can drive whenever I'm old enough to drive. I can drive all of my friends around and we'd have like a big party just like in the back of the the limousine. Of course, he was like, that's the most impractical thing I could you could possibly (laughs) possibly want. So I think the Cadillac Eldorado was sort of the the more reasonable version of owning a limousine. Mm-hmm. And we'd actually, my car growing up, the first car I learned to drive in, in my, my family car when I was in high school was a Buick 88. Oh, wow. Which was, which was a boat. It was just a giant brick. Yeah. It was a more of a brick with wheels, had no get up and go whatsoever. <laughs> um, I'm, the I'm, pre- yeah, I'm go pretty ahead. sure. I'm pretty sure that we had a giant Buick 88 or so. It, we had this gigantic black car. Sure. That broke down in Bakersfield. That's all I, re- I remember this car being huge and black, and then it broke down in Bakersfield. What a sad place to break down. Yeah. Yeah. Oof. No, I, 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 you know, the times I've been able to, to be in a Cadillac Eldorado, it's smooth. It, it much like any other kind of big car like that doesn't necessarily get you to zero zero to 60 very fast but once you get up to 60 you're cruising and you feel like you're doing about 20 (laughs) and i was always appreciative of my buick 88 because i learned how to parallel park with that thing and if you can parallel park one of those behemoths you're in good shape with your with my my key of forte now Mm mm-hmm any any parallel parking situation is no problem for me. That's one of the <laughs> if, if we did a Mount Rushmore of things that we're good at, I might have to consider parallel parking <laughs> on that list. And I owe that all to the Buick eighty eight. I imagine but, you you're probably seeking more geometric challenges. I was like, give me a perpendicular park. Okay, give me a, a trapezoidal parking. Come on, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Well, I saw this. I, I saw this great video the other day of like a, an old 1920s car that had. Uh, do you remember in the back of cars used to have the big, um, the spare tire, the spare wheel that you could put on? Like a yeah, Lincoln. It had, had yeah, it had like the system where basically the that tire would extend down, and the car would just kind of roll sideways into a park, like a parallel parking spot. It had wow. this extra wheel that it was just like would help. It was like the parking assist wow. of like the 1920s or 30s or something. Wow. It was wild. Yeah, there's a lot of those sort of before everything kind of got standardized, people were just throwing everything on cars mm-hmm. to see whether or not it would stick. Uh, but the Eldorado was just, just this incredibly smooth for, for being such a big car. It was incredibly smooth riding. And it just to me, that was just the height of luxury. Yeah. Now, does that make does that make mean that I have the same automotive taste as, oh, let's say a 1980s pimp? probably (laughs) and i'm fine with that yeah uh what i loved about the uh uh, i had a 65 chrysler newport in high school and it was a big big car and the sense of safety that you have knowing that if i do hit something at high speed i've got a 15 foot free fall before i ever hit the windshield like you've got (laughs) so much space you're going to be fine. <laughs> now, the problem is the windshield is about five inches thick. Yeah. So if you true. do hit it, you're probably dead where yeah, you stand. All but... shattered. Yeah. Well, that's a fun choice. Thick. Boy, Richard, I kind of, I don't know if I expected that from you. I don't know what I expected, but I didn't think it was going to be that kind of big American kind of. Oh, I love, love me. I still love me and my wife. Anytime we go looking for, for a car. Not so much anymore because we just go to CarMax and we kind of know what we want. But back in the day where you would literally go from dealership to dealership and see what they had in stock. Yeah. Anytime there was like a, you know, some sort of like midnight late model Cadillac or Buick or something Mm -hmm. else that was like just massive. Yeah. I would sort of start eyeballing it and she'd have to say, no, we're not getting that. (laughs) We're not. No, that's so impractical. No, no, not a chance. Funny. You talk about dealership, uh, I in North Hollywood where I live, there are fewer, but uh, Glendale where I used to live, it seems like there are still plenty of mom and pop corner 
dealerships. They're not in Miracle Mile. They're sure. that place that has a dirty busted out sign with letters missing and they've got three and a half cars on the lot. <laughs> like, who goes there to get a car? I, it's, it's like, I, I just can't even comprehend why we would go. They should have a sign that says, come, we have this no selection whatsoever. Well, you know, most of those places, they cater to people who do not have, let's say, the best credit. Okay, okay. So ah, there's your there's your issue there. So forgiving. Yeah, they're very forgiving if you want to buy a 19, you know, 73 yeah. Pinto. Yeah. <laughs> you have no choice in anything. <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay, Winfield, what's your first sh- choice here? Well, um, I will preface all of this by saying I'm not a car guy in any way. So none of my choices... Um, should reflect any sort of um, sensible nature about cars or any uh, anything other than like um, uh, running on some pure um, nonsensical sense of oh, okay. what I find ideal. I mean, if I remember a few years ago, I was looking for a car and the Nissan Juke looked like the best option <laughs> to me. And this is a thing that looks like um, like a cross between like a frog and it's like some sort of Kanye West tennis shoe. I mean, this thing is... <laughs> disgusting but i love it completely that's not my choice though my first choice um as a child of the 80 is the lamborghini Countach, uh in black because um there are only two things that came out of the 80s and that was the lamborghini Countach and like the ferrari testarossa but Mm -hmm. my car of choice as a kid um was the lamborghini it could have been like those really cool like wing doors that kind of uh you know uh, open up it could have been that it looked like something that was so low pri- profile and um, something that could have either, you know, was made by the U.S. Milita- military industrial complex or like it was something out of G.I. Joe, maybe like Cobra. Mm-hmm. Maybe there was like Cobra was driving the cool. It was so cool <laughs> and low to the ground. And I couldn't imagine ever um, anybody ever driving in it because it was so low. I love, yeah. seeing, I love seeing videos of like great big fat guys getting in a Lamborghini and trying to get out or rolling out the door. It's delicious. But like um, the Lamborghini, I don't know. It was just like, it was just the coolest fucking car as a kid. I liked it better than a Porsche. I liked it better than a Ferrari. Uh, what was another great one? I guess those are like the three, the three big like cars of the eighties. Mm-hmm. And it was just, I don't know. There's something about it that I think uh, speaks to that kind of, um, uh, consumerist, uh, really exotic uh, mindset. Yeah, I feel like the '80s was the emergence of the Italian designer into American culture through couture, <laughs> through mm-hmm. all these things. But definitely, definitely cars. I have no is idea it? if this car is is good or not. I have no idea if it was faster than any other car. All yeah. I know is is that it it just looked like. Um, something out of like a, a video game or something out yeah. of like, uh, you know, the, the last Starfighter might have been, should have been driving that around or uh, there's something that's very, yeah. you know, science fiction about it. My father claims that there was a representative from the automotive companies who came to his art class when he was in high school and just took all their drawings <laughs> and <laughs> with the intent of designing a car to to meet the future uh, audience that uh, was going to be purchasing them in five five to ten years. So, uh, do you think your appetite as a uh, sci-fi or comic book consumer as a kid is what triggered that 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 it looked like a space ship or something like that? Yeah, d- definitely. I think that the doors opening up vertically rather than um, uh, gold wing rather than a, a yeah. The Gullwing, I don't know what kind of car that was on, but those were always cool too. The ones that kind of opened up that looked like something out of like the cartoon mask where they just kind of float up and out. I don't know. But uh-huh. this thing was just like so cool. You never see anything like that. It has these cool vents on the side and it's got the yeah. spoiler and it just looks like, uh, it kind of looks like a geometry problem. Like just, <laughs> you look at it and it's all angles and it, I don't know. You, it, it's also a car that like, you know, as a kid, you'd never see. Mm-hmm. There's no chance unless you were like at a car show, which I never went to. It, my impression of the Lamborghini was entirely built upon 
what it looked like on the poster, like yeah. on a TV show or a movie. It was like this kid, a teenager, like 13, 14, that had like a Lamborghini poster. And I was like, oh, holy shit, this kid loves this cool <laughs> thing. What is that? I don't even know what that is. I don't. I don't even know how to spell it. Countach, I don't know what that means. I still don't know what it means. So and there's no part of you weird. yet who understands that you'll be stuck on the 101 in 10 mile an hour traffic and there's and, no way you're gonna. Yeah, this is the card that I immediately thought of when you're sitting there and someone's like just desperately trying to zip through and you're just like, just, what are you doing? I, I, it probably sucks to <laughs> idle in a, in a car like this. Yeah. I don't know. It's okay. All right. Uh, Man Friday, what's your second choice? All right. So my second choice, I'm continuing with the bigger is better theme from my oh. childhood. And I will acknowledge this is a truck, not a car. And oh. if, if I cared enough, I would probably try to amend it or, but I don't care. Okay. It's a truck and it is the biggest truck of all trucks. I am of course talking about Bigfoot. <laughs> nice. Excellent choice. Monster <laughs> Excellent choice. Yeah, no, it's a super. Um, I mean, who who among us wouldn't want to crush cars <laughs> with 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 the ease with which Bigfoot was able to do this? Mm -hmm. uh, the original Bigfoot was built in 1975 by Bob Chandler, and he built it as a uh, the underassembly of a of the truck from one with a military surplus top loader on 48 inch tires. So he was basically built it as a way to promote his own performance parts center that he had. And he kind of just built it as kind of a showpiece. Mm -hmm. And he started making appearances at tractor poles and other car shows. Um, wound up getting a, a small part in the movie, Take This Job and Shove It. Oh, nice. Um, and a couple of years, also in 1981, same year the movie came out, he kind of, as a joke, made a video of him crushing a couple of cars out in an empty field and he would play it in his shop and one day a guy promoting a motorsports event in Missouri asked him to do it in front of a crowd <laughs> and he eventually did it and just people went nuts for it they had never seen a car a truck that would crush cars it just blew people's minds yeah huh. and um, so eventually he built a second Bigfoot uh, this has the 66-inch uh, tires that are kind of more standard with the monster trucks today. And from there, it just took off. There was a whole fleet of, uh, of monster trucks, of, of Bigfoot monster trucks in the 80s that he had. So he could send them around the country to different events. So if you saw Bigfoot in the 80s, that wasn't, there wasn't just one car. There were multiple Bigfoots that were being sent around. It was kind of like the... You know, if you go see the spinners in concert today. <laughs> Santa, like Claus, five... Santa Claus at the mall. Yeah, there's like five different versions of them, and that was yeah. the same thing. And then ESPN got involved, and they started promoting races, kind of drag races with crushing cars, and it just became this big, very 1980s thing. Mm -hmm. Had no and idea just... that he was the, uh, that was came from that one car. I figured it was um, something... Uh more well-established and he was just the big he was just the hulk hogan of it hmm. no he was the pioneer of uh of monster trucks we would not have monster jam today if it wasn't yeah. for bigfoot you feel like we're unfairly labeling them monsters should they be, should they be misunderstood trucks or like i don't know like yeah you think yeah misanthropic truck misanthropic i, I guess frankenstein yeah frankenstein was was also a monster but was he really i mean he was he was made by man and... that's true so was bigfoot yeah hmm. <laughs> so uh, as a kid those uh never i've never been to one of those monster truck shows but they mm. definitely the promos would just blow your mind like oh, they yeah. just were incredible yeah i went once it was fine yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know once you've seen and this was this would have been back in the 80s and they didn't have Bigfoot, but they had a few other ones. Mm -hmm. um, and the problem is, the first time it crushes the, all the new cars, quote unquote, it's great. By the fifth truck that comes out, or the second or third time that the trucks come out, all the cars have been flattened to pancakes. <laughs> and it is far less impressive. Yeah. Gravedigger is just kind of like 
barely even has to get up to go over it just kind of like it's almost like going down because they've been run into the ground they've been smashed so many times yeah yeah, yeah. and uh, grave digger does feel like the ultimate like 90s version of um bigfoot though it's it was like, the okay, un- what do we it got? Was- it was the yeah. Undertaker, to, <laughs> Undertaker to the Hulk Hogan. Yeah, for sure. Undertaker's uh, uh, grave diggers, like a uh, abandoned half brother truck comes out from the fire. <laughs> I do wonder at that level. I imagine that the first monster truck. I don't know this guy's demeanor, but there was probably some. It's like the difference between NASCAR and the first bootleggers who were souping up their stock cars to escape the the g-man or revenueers right. or whatever these guys who probably tour with these things are are probably uh, uh have engineering degrees and, and uh oh sure yeah oh sure yeah they're all they're all kind of like this you know it's funny we mentioned professional wrestling for a while back in the mid-2000s one of the uh one of the drivers of bigfoot was actually uh former wwf superstar medusa oh the female wrestler not the wow. female wrestler. There are a lot of female wrestlers, mm-hmm. but she was one of the big female wrestlers back in the eighties, and she wound up becoming a uh, a Monster Jam driver. Wow! Driving Bigfoot for a while. Wow! A lot Is of people don't know. T- a lot of people don't know too that Mary Shelley she started out originally as a Monster <laughs> Jam driver too before she she mm-hmm. wrote the novel, and then several yeah. people just copied off of that. You know. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay, okay. Winfield, what's your second one? Uh, Look, they're not all great. Um, uh, Mine is a more... um, uh, What's the word? Uh, More nostalgic pick. And it is the uh, 1964.5 Ford Mustang. Mm. Oh. Mostly because um, I helped as a kid to destroy my dad's 1964.5 Ford Mustang because I would often... um, stand on the roof and the trunk of that thing and jump off of it and put so many dents and sit in the oh, back no. seat. I'd be that I'd be in the back seat and like the the vinyl was peeling and you just peel it a little bit more and or the whatever it was made out of it. It was just a car that I loved being driven around in. It was just, it was, you know, by the 1980s, my dad still had it until like 82, 83, 84 or so. And you know, so that car is already like 20 years old. So that car has been through a lifetime. Twenty a twenty year old car is an old car when it's been driven. Yeah, I don't think he's had it for that long, but it sort of became this. Like I'd love to see a Mustang. It just became this this car that was just like embedded in my head of like this thing is like this is what this is what cool people drive. Um, we have a good friend, um, Julie. And she has a Mustang and she has to take this thing out um, every once in a while just to keep like the motor working. So she has to like every once a week, she has to like drive it around the neighborhood for like half an hour just so this thing doesn't fall apart. And I could, one, I could never have that much care for a car to like think like, oh, I, I need to take care of this thing. So like that, it's just on a whole another world. But this car is just so cool. Mustangs just look so cool. They have, oh, yeah. there's yeah. something about them that are very, um, as opposed to like the Lamborghini, their muscle cars are very American. They're seemingly tough. They're they're fast. They're two door, you know, just like a Lamborghini. They're two door, but they're two regular doors, and they're just <laughs> good old American, um, you know, craftsmanship in like a in an automobile. And um, you know, I've, I've apologized to my dad for so many years of being this kid that would grab onto the branches of our like uh, our Chinese elm tree and stand on the <laughs> roof and the trunk and dent it and try to swing off of it and it's like oh my poor dad this car these things that we do to them as kids but you don't know <laughs> sitting in the car and your legs are you're in shorts and your legs are sticking to the vinyl and burning and you're like this car is awful at the same time oh it's so cool and nostalgic did you come to that uh apologetic feeling after becoming a father or was it even before that no it was before that um my dad had after that had owned just a number of cars that weren't as iconic it i realized it wasn't a buick richard it was an oldsmobile he had this oh there we go mom had this huge 
87 or 88 Oldsmobile. It was just the size of, it was just a boat, a tank. And they had this other little tiny Datsun after my parents got divorced. And he had like a, uh, like a Toyota pickup truck with a camper shell for when he was a handyman. And he's had trucks kind of ever since then. But that was like, that was like the car that I associate with like my cool dad from when I was in the eighties. And that's, I will never, I will never not have that like lingering desire to own one, even though I know I could never properly take care of something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, uh, the, the, the sixties era Mustangs, I had a friend of mine who had one and I warned him before he got it and he was in high school. I said, those things, you're, it's going to break your heart. You're going to be spending more time up fixing it than you are driving it. He didn't listen. And I swear within two months, the engine went. Yeah. <laughs> he had to do a complete rebuild and then something else went. And it was just like, they were notorious for being like trouble, just all kinds of trouble, but they look, I'm sure. So initially, cool. I'm, sh- they I'm look sure so also cool. initially, yeah. And initially I'm sure they like all, you know, all cars, you know, for the first 10 years, I'm sure they ran great, but you have to, you know, for any of these cars that are so old, there's just, there is a dedication and a care with them that uh, I just, I don't have. I, I can barely change my car's oil every 3,000 miles. <laughs> I think in, it was in high school, there was the dude who was super wealthy mm. and kind of effortlessly cool and like attractive but also kind of the goofy and friendly to his his buddies and his so parents like had me. given him like richard manfredi like yeah yeah uh yeah and his rich parents gave him a 65 or something like that and perfectly restored pristine and you know he, he didn't ask for it he would have been fine driving around with whatever but it just raised his coolness level even more and uh do you remember in boogie nights how there was dirk diggler and then there was Philip Seymour Hoffman just wanted to be Dirk Taylor. <laughs> like he would wear like similar clothing or whatever. There was another guy in our school who, who was obsessed with that first guy. And he got a 67 Mustang or something to try to be mm-hmm. that guy. And it was always falling apart. Just, it was like the facade that he was trying to keep up uh, of catching up with this guy was just always, always breaking down. So, mm-hmm. all right. So speaking of breaking down, let me break it down for you. Here's what you got to do. So pretty soon this whole pandemic is going to be uh, over and you won't have any excuse um, to not be hot. Uh, you've got that extra oh. 20 pounds that you have. So you better hit that treadmill or you got to go out and do some uh, road work like Rocky Balboa or something like that. And that means popping in the headphones and listening to the Mount Rushmore podcast as you run <laughs> around all of Los Angeles. Don't hop in your Lambo. Kuntosh or whatever you, <laughs> you yeah. got to hoof it. Yeah. You got to get the road work in, put those miles in. So um, download all of our past episodes and just start running. And I think by the time you listen to them all, you're going to be good. You're going to look good. You're going to be lean and you're going to be so, I don't think informed is the word. <laughs> certainly um, not. Certainly not. <laughs> uh, of the well, you'll be knowledgeable of the opinions of middle-aged white men. That is what you'll know. Uh, so yeah, and you could also even impact the future of this post-pandemic Mount Rushmore world by going to our social handles, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and suggesting future topics. That would be super cool. We'd love you for it. We'd love you for it, uh, man, Freddie. I would, I would just, I would just car? say, yeah, what, I would, would just say, um, avoid anything pandemic-related. Because I think that as we enter into a post-pandemic world, nobody wants to talk about the last yeah. year. Yeah. I don't want to see a movie about this last year. I don't want to see, I don't want to read a book about this last year. Yeah. I want to just be like, you know what? It's already almost June. We're, we're halfway through the year already. Let's move on. Let's keep yeah. going. We'll be like forward. the Republicans with the January 6th commission. <laughs> Who needs it? Who needs to think back that far? That's months ago months ago to things persons may or may not have done under direction of the person who may or may not have been the president why even bother yeah yeah that's long ago uh man freddy what large thing on wheels are you gonna tell us about? no i'm not this one is not a large thing i'm not okay. this is not not doing a tank or anything okay um 
I thought about I, I, my thought was I don't really want to do like a pop culture car. And then I thought about it and I was like, no, I really wanted the Trans Am from Smokey and the Bandit. Oh, sweet. I mean, <laughs> come on. That thing is the most badass looking car yeah. ever produced. And that thing just look maybe and maybe I don't know if the association is with being a kid in like in 19 watching smoking the bandit on my local, you know, independent TV station in 1983 mm -hmm. and seeing Burt Reynolds and just thinking he was cool as shit. Yeah. And if that guy's driving that car, then it's got to be the coolest car on the planet. Yeah. But it's got a giant firebird painted on the hood. Mm -hmm. How badass is that? Yeah. It's just, it's just, there is something about that car specifically that just makes hair grow on your chest. Mm -hmm. I can't explain exactly what it is other than the association <laughs> with Burt Reynolds. Um, but yeah, that was because I thought about like, oh, the Ghostbusters, you know, wagon or the DeLorean from Back to the Future, blah, 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 all these different ones. And I just kept coming back to the Smokey and the Bandit Trans Am. Mm -hmm. um, turns out that the, uh, that the, uh, it was supposed to be a 1977 model, but um, Pontiac actually, uh, it, they were actually supposed to phase out the Trans Am model. They were going to be going to the Firebirds within uh -huh. a couple of years, but the Trans Am became so popular because of the movie that Pontiac actually held off on introducing the Firebirds for a few years so they could get more sales out of the Trans oh. Am. Oh. That's, that's how big of a deal that movie and that car was. It actually uh -huh. changed the way that Pontiac decided to to market and sell their cars. Wow. Yeah. Hey, that's that's pretty cool. Yeah. Could have gone with the Pinto, but no. No. <laughs> I don't remember any movies where a Pinto was being raced around. Mm -hmm. Oh, I do, actually. Spirit of 76. Have you ever seen that movie? Oh, the Red Cross. With, with, uh, yeah, the McDonald's. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah there's a, there's a, there's David a gag. In, <laughs> yes, there's a gag in there involving a Pinto exploding. Yeah. So I guess I could have technically chosen that, but <laughs> the Trans Am's slightly cooler. Yeah. Did uh, Paul Williams or somebody ride a, like a small car and I think maybe it was like a Fiat <laughs> in uh, Cannonball Run or something? Oh, he might have had a Mini Cooper or something yeah. like that. Yeah. yeah. I love the stunts back. Well, the TV you know, a show or movie like Smoking the Bandit obviously inspired things like The Fall Guy or, or even, I think, somewhat Dukes of Hazzard. Um, but it wasn't uncommon, you know, for it to be a Trans Am until they hit the uh, the ramp and then midair, it was a, a, you know, it was a Camaro or whatever thing that they, they were going to uh, junk after the stunt was over, painted the same way as the hero car and then it would smash and <laughs> pick up where the, the Trans Am was driving over yeah they actually lost the uh original Smokey and the bandit the the show car the one that they used to promote mm -hmm. the movie hmm. they couldn't find it for a long time uh there was a car that claimed to be that that showed up on ebay in 2015 and never got sold um so it got restored and it was a sold at one of those barrett jackson auctions that you see on tv oh all yeah the time. Mm -hmm. uh burt reynolds actually drove the car up on stage with with eastbound and down wiring wow. on the speakers Wow. Um, and it sold for $550,000. Holy crap. So I will not, that is one car that I would have loved to own, mm -hmm. but I will not be owning. Yeah. Wow. The, 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 Hal Needham did so much more for cars, I think, than yeah. anybody else with the, the romanticizing of the stunts and things like that. Not that that wasn't kind of already happening, but, but the storytelling that he was able to to weave around around it was yeah the so, car was so almost as much of a character as uh-huh and showed about as much depth and emotional acting range as burt reynolds <laughs> mm -hmm. so man i don't know what makes a young person you know indiana jones has a nerdy side to him he's an archaeologist and he yeah you know uh, what what made me as a kid want to be like burt reynolds <laughs> there's nothing to identify with this testosterone laden like cheap cheap joke <laughs> slinging you know, cool. he smells like brute or old yeah. spice or something. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I think he reminded me of one of my uncles. That's the best. That's the best explanation I could that's, come up with. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. 
easygoing kind of guy and certainly a different type of matinee star than, you know, his predecessors. He's not like, you know, Robert Redford probably want to talk to you about the environment or something like that. And, right. and uh, seems like you could crack a beer open with, with Bert. With Bert. Uh, Winfield, what's your third? I've got a dumb one. Oh, good. I've, I've got a fictional one. Yeah. Uh, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles party wagon. The turtle van. Oh, wow. So good. As a kid, so it's just one of those things that I just loved. I love that it was just like this goofy, transformed, like VW van or whatever it was called. That it is just this thing that, you know, as a toy and as a cartoon, it had this big pop open door and it had cannons. And it was just had this dumb paint job. It was painted to look like them. It was the like the irony of these things, these ninjas that are supposed to stay in shadows and do whatever to have this big green and yellow garishly painted van <laughs> that they drive around in. And, um, uh, the, you know, the most conspicuous thing you've ever seen, you know, it was just so delightful to me. And I love the idea that this is the this van that these four guys hung out in together. Like, sure, they hung out in the sewers with their uh, rat master, but they also drove around the city. There's these teenagers that, what's the what? Are, what's something that teenagers love? They love to hang out in a van, be out there on the road and of course run over other ninjas and whatever. But I, I loved this thing as a kid. I loved the, the look of it. I loved the feel of it. I loved um, just everything about it. It's just so, it's so great. It's, I, I don't know, it's just yellow and green and great and bulky and stupid <laughs> and i never had it as a toy i had a bunch of turtle toys but this is one that i never had and i think i always wanted and maybe there's a, I, I get a twofer in this where there was a toy i wanted it was a car I oh <laughs> um i i was never really i think we talked about this on another um podcast ages and ages ago we talked about i think richard pulled up like van culture or like um oh yeah yeah the van God, what jeff's was it movie jeff's movie that he yeah. uh, loved that's what van. it was jeff talked about it i thought it was you richard but jeff yeah the, the van and like um i'm looking right now at like a picture of like a actual like restored 1957 volkswagen van vanagon that looks like a the turtle and and it's just so delightful i love the idea of this thing in real life being possible i don't know i love the yeah the silliness of it too did it evolve i know the turtles have been rendered differently and oh sure uh some of the party wagons look like they are vw buses and then some look like dodge vans and some just look a bit more like a military yeah, I'm looking at a picture of like one from like the 2014 movie, which weren't half bad. Like the newer, the newer like live action or CGI. I don't know if they're CGI or combination CGI live action of like turtle movies. Uh, not terrible. Pretty funny. Pretty good. But yeah, I'm looking at a picture and it looks like they have one of those things and it was like, a, it looks like some kind of post-military yeah. post-apocalyptic uh heavy duty the tires are way too big for the <laughs> i will say you know if i were to kind of toss in my memory my father briefly had a vw bus and i think mm. depending on who what era they're called different things um the vw van or van it wasn't a vanigan but it was red and it was pretty plain it wasn't one of those with like 32 windows and the really old kind of cool ones uh but what i loved about it is going camping or going on a road trip um you could roll back the moonroof in the passenger Ooh. cargo area and he had a luggage rack on top and it was just basically a jungle gym so <laughs> you could be <laughs> driving down the freeway and you know going on monkey bars essentially at the same time and God, I had such a good time in that. I think something also about the the front end of a VW bus being um, um, the driver is so close to the front end of the vehicle because there's no nose to it. There's no engine there. It's yeah. in the back. So um, it was so frightening <laughs> because you, you would pull in this vehicle, you pull up and you think, and you're thinking in your mind, stop, 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 because you're about to hit a car in front of you or something. 
but you have you have four extra feet that other vehicles don't. Good story. Uh, I, will, all right. I will tell you. I will tell you, Richard. If you have this immaculate power to parallel park, I am the opposite. I, I've had my car for I don't know how many years, but and I still have never learned like the distance behind what is left. I don't know how many times I've gotten out of my car like a, a geek and to say like, okay, one, two, and then I walk back to my car and then slowly inch it back another two feet and I'm like, what am I doing? How have I never? How did? How did I never acquire this skill? I the what has spoiled me was is backup beepers. I have one of those on my car. I don't have the camera, but the backup beeper is like, boy, that's pretty helpful when I hear it flatline like a, a patient dying on the yeah, that I know. Yeah. Okay, you're gonna hit the car. Wrap it up, man, Freddie. Give All your right. final choice. So my last choice. I went with big. I've already done big and then bigger. Oh okay. this time I'm going small. And I'm going with the Tamiya Hornet RC car. Not familiar. It is the uh, one of the off-road buggy-looking remote control cars. You can picture yeah. what, what those look like. Uh, this was the basically the model that sort of launched the RC car craze back in the '80s. And those are the ones that you would see, you know, racing at, at the you know kind of RC tracks and every rich kid had one i didn't have one of those i had like a nico which is like kind of the the model the brand that was kind of just below tamiya um but i love that rc car man i used to race that thing all around our street we had like a we had a big tree kind of in the front yard where and it pushed up the sidewalk out in front of our house so it kind of made almost like a de facto ramp. Hmm. And so you could take that thing and hit that ramp and cause that thing to jump and spin and flip and do all sorts of damage to it. Of course, my parent, my dad would go apoplectic every time I would do that because that was probably like the most expensive gift I had ever gotten to that point <laughs> in my life. And like an idiot, I'm sitting there just saying, whoa, here we go. Let's make it flip eight times. Boop, 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 boop. <laughs> Then he'd have to take it and see if he could fix the suspension or whatever he'd have to do to make it actually work. And the Hornet was, like I said, was the next model up. That was the one that you would actually see being raced in competitions and stuff like that. My other car was nice and it was fun for just sort of getting around and kind of zooming around the street. Um, but I really wished I could have raced those in the, in there was like a big remote control track up in Fresno. And I would have loved to have gone there and been able to race and go do all that sort of stuff. But it just financially financially never worked out that we could get something that nice for me to be able to race. I had a, I had a good friend, um, Clark Gilly, growing up, and he um, his father. I think it definitely helps when there is like that parental influence and the parental help of wanting to fix something and wanting to engineer it and wanting to learn how to drive it. I have memories of him having like an RC car like that that he'd like fill with like gasoline that he'd put like, he'd have like this tiny little funnel and would do that. And his dad was really involved. And later on in life, he went on to, still is, he, he, um, he restores custom cars. He's out in, um, I think Denver or Colorado or something. And he like, like from the 1920s to the whatever, any sort of custom car, he's just like, I wonder how much that just kind of like interpersonal relationship with his dad on something small like that like transformed lives. I mean, who knows? But I remember he had like a the RC car that was just like so badass and cool. And you're sitting there and you have your maybe your little electric one that is just rink a dink and yeah. not you, Richard. I I oh no, it was kind of I, I might I might have had something like that, but I don't even remember now. That's how it didn't impact me. Right. The Nico one was definitely a, one of those ones you had to plug it. You got maybe about 20 minutes of use out of it. Mm -hmm. And then you'd have to plug it in for another day and then you can bring it back out. Um, so that's how you knew you didn't have the highest quality one. <laughs> <laughs> um, here's here's a little uh, interesting fun fact. If you if you watch the movie Toy Story, at the end of the movie, uh, there's a scene when like Buddy and Woods and uh, uh, Buddy or Buzz and Woody. Oh my god, I fucked that up. Where Buzz and Woody are trying to get back onto the moving truck, and the RC car is driving after them and they have to strap themselves onto a rocket well there's a there's a, a, a moment where uh 
buzz is using like the the control for RC. Mm. And then he's driving after him. And then eventually the rocket goes off and they take off and he drops the control. They've effectively ruined that car, that toy. That RC car is never getting played with again past that point. <laughs> right. Because the mom, the mom 100% isn't trying to find like a replacement uh, yeah. radio control unit. They just yeah. delivered a, a useless car back into the toy box. Oh, that's horrible. Good job, guys. Yeah. Great, great, Pixar. Do you ever think about <laughs> how much you're ruining the life of that toy? Okay, Winfield, the last one, the last, the last choice, the last car. Then we park it. Park that car. Um, my last choice is one that extended to my um, late teens, early 20s. So I hope this uh, qualifies. And that's the Volkswagen Jetta from oh, wow. 2000. Wow. Okay. And I don't know if it was just the incredible marketing of Volkswagen at the time that really just completely sold me on their brand as a, um, as a car, as a thing that was like, when I was 20, it was just like the coolest fucking thing in the world, Volkswagen, whatever it was. I remember the, um, the Pink Moon, Nick Drake song in like the Volkswagen um, Cabrio commercial. Mm. It's just like when you're, 19, 20 years old, it's just haunting and beautiful and just lovely to see like these friends driving around and um, with a top down in this star filled sky and they pull into a party and then they just keep on going, driving their car. And it's just like one of those like images that I have like seared in my mind. It's like, oh my God, Volkswagen is so cool. This is the life that I just want to feel like this sort of sense of being young. Now, I didn't get my driver's license until I was way, way older. Until I was like uh, 21, I think. Huh. I didn't Whoa. drive. I didn't drive it at all in high school. I never got my license. I went to take one test one time and I missed by like one point or half a point and then never went back when I was like 16 because I decided that I wasn't going to be bothered anymore. So it took me a long time to actually get into driving, to be interested in driving. But then right around 2000, I was like, oh my God, this, this Jetta looks so great. It looks so like, it looks so modern and young and hip in that way that when you're 20, 21, that's what you, you want, that kind of, that feeling. I understand that um, Volkswagens are re also really difficult to kind of maintain and they're not necessarily the, the best cars, but God, they look, they look great. They look perfect for someone that's in their twenties. I I fell for it. I got the. I think Oof. I was driving in a friend's dad's two thousand one Jetta, and so by the time I got like a grown up person job in two thousand four, I went for yeah. it. And it was like even just the interior uh, was designed so nicely, and the lighting, and you could change it from this cool cherry red to this cool green, like uh. And I had been a fan of, you know, we've had, we had squarebacks and beetles and golfs and rabbits Ooh. growing up. So VW was already kind of part of our kind of family, but yeah, boy, that was, and for some reason, it seems like this was the car that maybe Natalie Merchant would drive, you know, or something, <laughs> that was something just kind of enlightened about it, man. <laughs> I think that, I think the Volkswagen had just, um, they had like this kind of uh, real, great connection of like music in their commercials mm -hmm. to their um uh in their advertising connecting to their cars um back in like the mid 90s they had that uh they had a commercial that was like da 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 yeah. it was just these two guys driving around on a sunday picking up shit from the side of the road just wasting time and driving around and the, the nick drake song and then they had this other like i think they're 2000 or 2001 they had a Jetta commercial that was like, uh, it was like a rainy day and the music was like um, kind of timed to the beat of the, the windshield wipers. And like, they're just, it was just really great advertising that one, I don't even pay attention. I don't watch commercials. I don't watch live TV anymore. So I don't know what a cool commercial is. They all look the same. They, mm -hmm. What I do see is they're all like, you did sweeping overhead shots of cars driving along the, you know, the California coast and all that nonsense. It's like, okay, well, whatever. 
but yeah, the Jetta back in the day was just like, man, that was just my car. Never got it. I definitely went and picked up like brochures <laughs> for it. Was obsessed in that in that way and tried to research how much it would cost to put one together. And they were always like, oh no, you, you can't afford this on your job part-time as like barista at the Starbucks <laughs> in the... <laughs> <laughs> in the Barnes and Noble, like it was just this is not going to work for you. The same way I couldn't afford like, like the like the Harman Kardon like stereo receiver I was obsessed with for a little bit. I was like, I want to get the really great stereo system. It's like you're not doing that either. You're not getting the six disc changing CD player either. Don't worry about it. But you have you have the you have the brochures that you got from the audio video store down the street. Uh, well, it's funny. Uh, even as an adult, you were still kind of almost too much of a kid to uh, <laughs> to get that car you dreamed of. So, yeah. I think VW, like Apple, to me has lost some of the um, uh, anti-business <laughs> um, manufacturing. You know, it seemed like Apple was they were kind of like the the hipster um, outsider for so many mm. years, and now they're just yeah, they're just part of the Borg, like everybody else. So. All right, dudes, uh, this is a lot of fun, a lot of really compelling memories. Uh, I don't envy you, uh, your role of judging, Jeff. Well, thank you, Jeff. I appreciate you saying that. Uh, but I'm going to go, uh, because it's not a car, to me, a Hornet RC car, you're not a, you know, like a car person could drive. So I'm just going to pull that one out. Wow. Um, and... Um, uh bigfoot monster truck gonna go with that uh gonna go with trans am smoking the bandit gonna go with that uh ninja turtle wagon gonna go with that and uh it's a three for for richard cadillac eldorado gonna yeah. go with that because it brought back some memories of cruising in my dad's uh monte carlo it was just like a big cloud. It was just like a big cloud with an eight-track playing ELO. <laughs> pretty, pretty awesome. <laughs> All right. So this has been the Mount Rushmore of cars that you uh, wanted as a kid. I, as always, am Jeff. I'm Richard. I'm Michael. Vroom, vroom. Vroom, vroom. Zoom, zoom. I'm going to carefully stop recording. Just pray. Stop recording. Stop recording.